Paul Dennis Reed was a wannabe country singer who terrorized Nashville, Tennessee, robbing local restaurants and executing fast food workers. This violent ex-con got away with murder for weeks until he pressed his luck one time too many and fell right into law enforcement's trap. Originally from Richland Hills, Texas, a suburb of Fort Worth, Reed went to Nashville to pursue a career as a country music singer. But before moving to the Music City, he spent time in the Texas Big House relating to the 1983 aggravated armed robbery of a Houston steakhouse. He had served seven years of a 20-year sentence and was paroled in 1990. He began his criminal career at a very early age, having numerous run-ins with family and police. But the question remains, how does a one-time convict turned country singer become a serial killer? No one really knows, but I'm here to tell you this unbelievable story. Recorded in Rocket City, USA. No bullshit. Just real talk. And now Deuce Conrad. Paul Dennis Reed Jr. was one of several children born to Paul Reed Sr. and his wife Joni in Texas. After his parents' divorce, Paul Jr. and his sister lived with their paternal grandmother. Now, the elderly woman did her best, but uh, Paul seemed to be impossible to control. He abused animals, he bullied children, he stole, and he destroyed property. From the ripe age of four years old, he attempted to murder his grandmother. A priest finally advised the woman to send eight-year-old Paul to a boy's home, fearing for her safety and the safety of others. But as he grew, Paul dabbled in drug use, and he attempted to sexually abuse his sister and his mother. And from there, he racked up a juvenile record as fast as the police could type for theft, fighting, and stealing cars. Paul would drop out of school, remaining a habitual liar, physically violent, and uh, an incurable thief, with a vicious temper and no regard for the law. Sometimes accompanied by a boyhood friend, Paul Reed committed robberies and burglaries. Convicted in 19, excuse me, 1984 of a series of restaurant robberies, he gave sage advice to fellow prison inmates. Cut your hair and dress nice so people won't suspect you. He also vowed next time I won't leave witnesses. Now, he had also assaulted hospital and prison staff. He claimed mental abuse and body and mind control by government scientific technology devices. Yet, despite being labeled dangerous, a potential menace to society, Paul Dennis Reed Jr. was paroled in 1990. After parole, he would reside in Texas and Oklahoma for some time, but also traveling to Illinois, suspected of molesting the children of both girlfriends and family. Now, it is probable he committed crimes during this time period, but to this date, no proof exists. Music City, 
Nashville, Tennessee, is a relationship town. You see, sitting in your apartment alone won't do you any good. You have to get out and go meet people. This sounds so elementary, but did you know that 50% of the people who move there will move back just because they didn't make any friends? After paroling in 1990, Paul Dennis Reed got a job driving a truck, but he had a wreck. This gave him workman's comp and a settlement which he spent on plastic surgery to make make himself look more photogenic. And that's when he decided that he was going to be a country music star. And so he started getting photographs made so he could sell himself. And he moved to Music City. And he started working to be the star that he felt he was born to be. Paul would live with a roommate, Brian Fosrud, at a boarding house, but as time went on, he saw that his dream was slipping away. So he got a job at Shoney's as a dishwasher. But he would lose that job when he got mad and threw a plate and hit a co-worker. Now, it's theorized that his falling music career and his job loss led him to resort to his old criminal ways and to become the killer that he was. And although there are several unsolved murders that have been thought to have been possibly committed by him in other places, uh, for a time, uh, Paul Reed was even considered a prime suspect in the 1993 Brown's Chicken Massacre in Palatine, Illinois, due to the similar nature of the crime in relation to the two incidents in Nashville. You know, characteristics included shoe prints found at the scene and descriptions of a killer that matched Reed's profile. But as luck would have it, his alibi checked out, however. And and Reed was later ruled out as a subject. As far as Texas parole officials knew, Paul Dennis Reed was living in Fort Worth and working nights as a delivery man for an industrial uniform company when the seven workers at the Palatine Brown Chicken and Pasta restaurant were killed. In fact, Juan Luna was convicted on seven counts of murder in 2007. On September 29, 2009, Luna's cohort, James Degorski, was also found guilty of all seven counts of murder. All but two jurors had voted for the death penalty, and he was sentenced to life in prison. So, Paul got away with that one if there was even any chance that he was involved. Now, he's also reportedly considered a suspect in the Houston area killings of three people in a bowling alley. But that, too, also had another person convicted, Max Sofar, who has twice been convicted. But nonetheless, Paul Dennis Reed was on his way to becoming a cold-blooded killer. You see, during three months in 1997, Paul Reed would murder seven victims connected with fast food restaurants in Middle Tennessee. On Sunday morning, February the 16th, 1997, 16-year-old Sarah Jackson and 25-year-old Steve Hampton were shot and killed as they prepared to open the Captain D's restaurant on Lebanon Road in Donaldson, Tennessee. Hampton was the manager of the restaurant. Jackson was a high school student working part-time at the restaurant. Kevin Blackwell, area director for Captain D, spoke with Hampton on the telephone around 8.15 to 8.30 a.m. that morning. 
Over an hour later, around 9.45 to 10 a.m., Michael Butterworth arrived for work, but he was unable to enter the restaurant because the doors were locked. Butterworth telephoned the Captain D's from a neighboring restaurant and got a busy signal. When he called a second time a few minutes later, no one answered. Believing something was wrong, Butterworth contacted another Captain D's employee whose father was a Metro Police officer. The employee's father, Officer Jeff Wells, arrived at the scene and the assistant manager of the Captain D's unlocked the door. And they entered the restaurant between 11 a.m. and noon to find Hampton and Jackson dead, lying face down on the floor inside the restaurant walk-in cooler. The victims had been shot execution style while lying on the floor. Hampton had been shot twice in the back of the head and once in the back. Jackson had been shot four times in the head and once in the back. According to the medical examiner, two of Jackson's head wounds were fatal, but the two other head wounds were superficial, and the shot to her back was not immediately incapacitating. If these less serious wounds had been inflicted first, the medical examiner testified that Jackson may have been able to move. And in fact, a blood pattern of Jackson's gloved hand on shelving near but above her body indicated that Jackson had attempted to pull herself up from the floor after she was shot. The victims were shot with a 32 caliber weapon, probably a revolver. $7,140, including $250 in coins was taken in the robbery. Hampton's wallet, which contained $600, which he had intended to pay his rent, was also missing. This would be the first of Paul Dennis Reed's killing sprees. Do you have a beard? It's a legitimate question. You know, a beard says a lot about a man. A beard can define a man just by looking at him. Screw what they say. You can judge a book by its cover, and a beard is one hell of a cover. But let me ask you this. How do you take care of your beard? Are you putting chemicals into your face that will basically eat the hide off of a zombie stop that shit be a badass and start using badass beard care look it's all natural it's made by badass vets and it will make your beard so incredibly soft so incredibly manly and you can get a free trial set today by going to deuceconrad.com and selecting own promotions (laughs) 
Although no fingerprints were found in Captain D's, several items belonging to Stephen Hampton were discovered one day after the murders, lying alongside Ellington Parkway, a four-lane highway in East Nashville. Among the items found was a movie rental card belonging to Hampton and Paul Dennis Reed's right thumbprint was found on this card. The area where Hampton's belongings were found was about 11 and a half miles from the crime scene and about one and a quarter miles from Paul Dennis Reed's home. Now, police also found several shoe prints inside Captain D's near the safe. Two witnesses described a man who came by Captain D's the night before the murders inquiring about a job. Michael Butterworth and Jason Carter testified that a man came into the restaurant through the exit door around 10 p.m., shortly before closing the night before the murders. The man said he was interested in applying for a part-time job and that he had worked at Shoney's just down the road. The proof showed that the defendant, Paul Dennis Reed, worked as a cook at Shoney's some two miles from these murders. Butterworth and Carter gave the man an employment application and told him that the manager, Steve Hampton, would be working the next day. The man asked if anyone would be at the restaurant on Sunday morning, and Carter told him that Hampton would be there but uh, would be busy and unable to talk until probably around 2.45 p.m. after the Sunday lunch rush. Butterworth said that the man left in a dark-colored car. Now, somewhere around a week after the murders, Butterworth, Carter, and James Cassidy, another employee who was present the night before the murders, helped police prepare a composite sketch of the man that they had seen. The man wore a mustache at this time and did not have a ponytail, although there was testimony later at trial that his hair had been below his collar at the time and that he had combed his hair straight back. Three other people who had been driving by the Captain D's restaurant on the morning of the murders testified basically the same ID, a man matching Paul Dennis Reed and linking him to the murders. Jerry Marlin, who was passing by the restaurant at approximately 845, saw a blue Ford station wagon with damage to the left front and possibly to the left rear. He said it was parked at a funny angle towards the rear of the building. Uh, now, prior to these murders, Paul Dennis Reed drove a light blue 1988 Ford Escort station wagon. Now, this is significant because it had been involved in an auto accident in January of 1997. Around 8.50 a.m., Debbie Hines was driving by Captain D's on her way to church when she saw a man whom she later identified as Steve Hampton standing inside the doorway of the restaurant talking to a man outside who was holding white paper in his hand. Hines described the unidentified man as dark-haired and approximately five inches taller than Hampton. The description was consistent with Paul Dennis Reed, who was dark-haired and approximately six foot three inches tall, as compared to Hampton, whose height was five foot eight inches. 
Around 9.30, another passerby, Mark, Farm, Mark Farmer, noticed a car that sort of looked out of place. Now, according to Farmer, the small to medium-sized car was parked about a car length away from the front of the building, headed in the opposite direction of the drive through arrows painted on the lot. Farmer initially remembered it, it was a light blue car. But at the trial, he stated it also may have been painted a pinkish plum color. Big difference. The farmer also noticed a man walking hurriedly away from the restaurant towards the car, and when the man stopped at the passenger side of the car, he looked up, and farmer testified that the man elevated his face, and it seemed like our eyes sort of caught one another. And when he saw that I was watching him, he dropped his head just completely down in a suspicious way. He said that the man entered the passenger side of the car, and Farmer described the man as tall with a muscular build and large neck, dark eyebrows and dark eyes, and a full head of hair which was slicked back. Farmer said that the man was wearing a white shirt, dark pants, and white, not known, new type tennis shoes. Farmer heard about the murders the next day, and that's when he called the police twice twice to report what he had seen, but no one ever contacted him back. Since 1999, Rakuten has paid its members over $2 billion in cash back, formerly known as Ebates. Rakuten is an affiliate reseller of over 2,500 online retailers. Uh, Rakuten passes part of their commission on their sales back to you in the form of a cash back payment. You see, you earn cash back by using the Rakuten online shopping portal. And using Rakuten is very uh, simple and easy. There are no fees or forms you need to fill out to get your money. Uh, but to get the cash back, all you have to do is start any online shopping you do at the Rakuten website. You'll click through their site to your preferred online store such as Target, Walmart, Sephora, Macy's, Nike, and many more. And then simply make your purchase as uh, usual. Easy, right? Well, I'm going to make it even better for you being a listener of the Deuce Conrad Show. As a first-time shopper, you will get up to $30 to use on your first purchase. Course, certain terms and conditions apply. Visit www.deuceconradshow.com and select promotions to get started today. A little more than a month later, Paul Dennis Reed would strike again, this time at a McDonald's. On March 23, 1997, Ronald Santiago, Andrea Brown, Robert Sewell, and Jose Ramirez Gonzalez, employees of a McDonald's restaurant on Donaldson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, had just completed their night shift when the defendant, Paul Dennis Reed, forced his way into the restaurant and ordered them into the office and demanded money. After Santiago, the manager, handed over the contents of the restaurant safe, Paul Dennis Reed directed the employees into the storage area, and it was there that he ordered them to lie on the floor. 
He then fired two shots each into the heads of Brown, Santiago, and Sewell. When Reed attempted to shoot Gonzalez, however, the gun malfunctioned, and Gonzalez struggled, and that's when Paul Dennis Reed drew a knife and stabbed him repeatedly. Gonzalez stopped fighting. He feigned death. And when Reed had left, he was able to telephone for help. Tragically, Santiago and Sewell died at the scene. And Brown would later die at the hospital. At trial, Gonzalez testified that on the night of the shooting, he and Robert Sewell were leaving the restaurant when they were confronted by a man armed with a small silver handgun and carrying a bag under his arm. Gonzalez recalled that the man whom he later identified as Paul Dennis Reed said something in English. Santiago, who was in the door of the restaurant and had overheard the comment, he translated into Spanish informing Gonzalez that Reed had ordered them back into the restaurant. When the three men returned to the restaurant, Reed demanded the money from the safe and placed the contents into his bag. Now Gonzalez recalled that Reed then directed the employees into the storage area. That's where he shot Sewell, Santiago, and Brown execution style. That's also when he tried to shoot Gonzalez, but his gun malfunctioned. Gonzalez said he fought the defendant, but he was overpowered and he was stabbed in the stomach. And he said as he fell to the floor, Reed stabbed and kicked him repeatedly. Paul Dennis Reed only discontinued the attack when Gonzalez pretended to be dead. And although badly injured, Gonzalez was heroically able to telephone 911, but only after Paul Dennis Reed had left and so very badly injured. The police arrived minutes later and Gonzalez was taken to the hospital by ambulance. Dorothy Carter, the dispatcher who answered the 911 call, testified that she could hear only groans and mumbling. And although she was able to communicate, unable to communicate with a caller, she nevertheless dispatched both the police and an ambulance to the restaurant. Detective Mike Rowland, who investigated, found no fingerprints, no shoe prints, or other physical evidence linking the defendant to the crime scene. He and other officers found six Remington 25 caliber automatic cartridge casings in the restaurant. Testing established that the casings matched the 25 caliber bullets recovered from the three murder victims. Are you looking for unbiased news in a world of biased media? Look no further. 
1440 provides an impartial view of what's happening in the world so our readers can form their own conclusions. 1440 scours hundreds of sources each and every day to bring you a single morning briefing thoughtfully curated by experts. Straight to your email with no haggling or unnecessary spam. Get even more benefits by signing up to the Deuce Conrad Show affiliate link. Visit www.deuceconradshow.com and select Promotions to sign up today. On the night of April 23, 1997, Angela Holmes, age 21, and Michelle Mace, age 16, were working at a Baskin-Robbins store on Wilma Rudolph Boulevard in Clarksville, Tennessee. The store regularly closed at 10 p.m. At around 10.10 p.m., Craig Mace arrived at the store to pick up his sister, Michelle. He noticed that Angela Holmes' car was in the parking lot and the lights inside the store were still on. So he entered the store through an unlocked door and he found no one inside. And that's when Mace called 911. Officers were dispatched to the scene and searched the store. They found that the cash register drawer was empty, except for some coins and a safe in the office with the top removed. More than $1,500 had been stolen. Now the victim's purses were found at the store and no money had been taken from the purses. A mop and bucket were found in the customer area, and the freezer was left open. On the morning of April 24, 1997, the bodies of Angela Holmes and Michelle Mace were found at the Dunbar Cave State Natural Area in Montgomery County, Tennessee, some two to three miles from the Baskin-Robbins store. Both victims had suffered deep stab wounds to their necks as well as stab wounds, cuts, and abrasions to other parts of their bodies. These two young ladies had bled to death. LaVonda Zimmerman testified that she had visited with the victims at the Baskin-Robbins store around 9.20 and until about 10 p.m. on April 23rd. She said at one point a man in his late 20s or early 30s entered the store and became obnoxious and very loud about the prices before leaving. As Zimmerman left the store at 10 p.m., she saw a shiny red car enter the parking lot. And although she testified that a photograph of Reed's car, a 1997 red Ford door Ford Escort, was consistent with the car she had seen, she did concede that she told a private investigator prior to the trial the car was dark reddish or maroon. She also conceded that she did not tell officers about the car when she was interviewed in May of 1997. George Hardenstein testified that he was driving to work at 959 on April 23rd when he saw a car driving slowly on Rossview Road near the Baskin-Robbins store. When he attempted to pass a car, the car abruptly turned onto Union Hall Road, which was one road 
after the entrance to Baskin-Robbins' store. He also testified that the car was identical to the photographs of, the, of that car which belonged to Paul Dennis Reed. But on cross-examination, George admitted that he contacted police in June of 1997 after he saw pictures of the defendant's car on the television news. He also acknowledged that he told a private investigator that the car he saw had two doors, whereas Paul Dennis Reed's car had four doors. Jerry Perdue, a friend of Michelle Mace, testified that he saw a small red car in the Baskin-Robbins parking lot shortly after 10 p.m. on April 23, 1997. He further testified that photographs of Paul Dennis Reed's car could very well be the car he saw in the parking lot. He also acknowledged that he told law enforcement officers that the car he saw was a two-door hatchback. But he was no longer sure. He also stated that he had told officers that the car had black bumpers, stickers. I bet you have been to Walmart at some time in your life and probably shopped there. I bet you even probably get groceries there from time to time. Did you know that Walmart has grocery pickup? And in fact, I can save you $15 on your first order of $50 or more. For more information, go to www.deuceconradshow.com and select promotions. There will be a link there where you can sign up as a new customer. And again, you'll save $15 on that first order of $50 or more. Elfrida Lane testified that she was a friend of Paul Dennis Reed and that she had lived three miles from the Baskin-Robbins store in Clarksville, Tennessee. Lane testified that Reed called her once or twice a week from February to April of 1997 and that they had discussed Reed's effort to be rehired at a Shoney's restaurant. Lane testified that Reed was at her home on or about April 18th and that he had been driving a red car. Uh, also, according to Lane, Reed telephoned her on April 24th and he told her that he had planned to visit her the previous evening, but it had gotten too late. Uh, business records reveal that Reed purchased gasoline at a Texaco station in Clarksville at 9.45 on April 23rd. Now, that Texaco station was about uh, seven-tenths of a mile or so from Lane's home and only about uh, a little less than a mile from the Baskin-Robbins store. A signed credit card receipt showed that Reed purchased $11.95 worth of gas. Jay Smith and Shannon Reeves testified that they saw a car near Dunbar Cave around 10.30 p.m. on the night of April 23, 1997. They were at the home of Smith's girlfriend, Holly Schmidt, who lived across the street from the Dunbar Cave entrance and parking lot. Now, Smith testified that the car was a four-door red vehicle that he thought was odd because the car was not in the parking space. Smith, a friend of Michelle Mace, conceded that he told officers that the car looked like several makes of cars, none of which matched Reed's car. 
Smith, nonetheless, testified that the car he saw was consistent with photographs of Reed's car. And Reeves testified that he saw the car in Dunbar Cave parking lot. And although he could not make out any details about the car, he noticed that the car's headlights were on, and at one point, they changed from low to high beam. Dr. Charles Harlan testified that he performed the autopsies on the two victims, Angela Holmes and Michelle Mace. Dr. Harlan testified that Holmes died as a result of a stab wound to her neck that went all the way to her backbone. The wound, which was consistent with a knife blade of eight or nine inches, transected the carotid artery and jugular vein. Dr. Harlan testified that Mace had suffered 14 stab wounds including a fatal stab wound in, the, in her neck. Now, Dr. Harlan also stated that a compound incision penetrated Mace's backbone consisted of three changes in direction and was consistent with a sawing motion. And according to Dr. Harlan, both victims would have taken 5 to 15 minutes to bleed to death. And they would have been conscious for at least 80% of that time. On June 25th, 1997, Paul Dennis Reed went to the home of the Shoney's manager who had fired him from a dishwashing job the day before the Captain D's murders. The stated reason for his firing was Reed losing his temper and throwing a dish at a fellow employee. Paul Dennis Reed was armed with a knife and he approached the man's front door and attempted to get in, but the screen door was locked. The man's son videotaped the encounter and the footage was subsequently released to the media following the police investigation. After the kidnapping attempt failed, Paul Dennis Reed left the home without further incident. And he would subsequently be arrested by the Nashville Metropolitan Police Department. After which he was considered the prime suspect and charged in the Captain D's and McDonald's murders and eventually the Baskin Robbins murders. Paul Dennis Reed would receive seven death sentences for his convictions. The first two coming on April 20th, 1999. Reed's execution has been staged several times since then, including an instance in 2003, just hours before the scheduled execution. Reed eventually waived his right to an appeal, but members of his family, along with anti-death penalty activists, claims he is mentally challenged and unable to make such a decision. And such, they filed multiple petitions, both successful and unsuccessful, to stay his execution. However, the Tennessee Supreme Court has upheld all of Reed's sentences, and Reed's case has received national attention among anti-death penalty activists. Since his arrest... Reed's family, notably his sister, Linda Marciano, has argued that he is mentally incompetent to stand trial, and since his convictions, they have argued that he is not able to make 
sound legal decisions that Paul Dennis Reed has displayed erratic decision-making, choosing to appeal some verdicts and, and not others, and professing his will to die is sentenced after fighting to avoid such a fate earlier in his defense. At the same time, Reed has shown signs of paranoia, calling his defense team actors and claiming he is part of a United States government mind control project called the Scientific Technology, which monitors his every move. In cross-examinations, the prosecution has attempted to counter his, this defense by claiming Reed is a crafty con artist using these delusions as a defense mechanism. Reed's original trial was the first murder trial to be broadcast live in the state of Tennessee via WTVF's News Channel 5 Plus cable channel. Following the allowance of cameras in the courtroom a few years earlier, and his subsequent trials were also broadcast live. Despite his notoriety and his ability to stay out of the death chamber. Paul Dennis Reed died at Nashville General Hospital at Meharry on November the 1st, 2013. The cause of death was from complications due to pneumonia, heart failure, and upper respiratory issues. Reed had been in the hospital for only two weeks. Thank you for listening to the Deuce Conrad Show on Spotify Podcast. In case you didn't know, you can also hear this podcast on Google Podcast and Apple Podcast and most podcast platforms across the web. For more information about tonight's show, you can also visit www.deuceconradshow.com. Visit show notes for more details. Thank <laughs> you.